Hello there. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry, is Gary you scared me, yeah, sorry. I'm new here and a little jumpy. I'm Martha. Martha, yeah, I can see your name tag. Oh. Hey, I'm Frank, I'm Eddie's dad. Oh. Uh, do you know where he is? Yeah, he's in X-Race. Oh, he okay. should be out soon, though. Okay. You know, I heard that he's doing better. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's great, but then, you know, Eddie could always hang in there. Could he? Oh, yeah. I remember when we were uh, younger, we'd go outside and play baseball almost every day, and Eddie, he would not quit until he hit a ball right into Mrs. O'Donnell's yard. <laughs> that kid, he would not give up. Well, that's a good trait to have, especially here. Yeah, well, he's that way at his job, too. Do you know he is the top art dealer here in this town? Uh-huh, I've heard. Yeah, oh, that kid can make more money in one year through his gallery than I can make in 10 years of painting. You're a painter, too? Mm -hmm. Oh, I know I love looking at all of Eddie's stuff. He's such a good painter. It's so intricate, interesting stuff. I love it. Well, we're, we're both painters, all right. Only uh, I paint houses and he paints pictures. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, we're both good at what we do, though. We just choose to do it in a different way. And, of course, Eddie's the more creative one. Well, I am done here. So I'm going to go check on Eddie, and I'll see if he's done. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yes. Well, look who I found. You guys enjoy your visit. Hi, Dad. Hey, Eddie. Hey, I hear you're doing better. Yeah, my T-cell count is up a bit. A few more days and the doctors say my lungs will clear up. Eddie, that's awesome. That's great. What's that? Well, it's just a little something I put together for you to handle the boredom. Here, take a look at it. It's all about you. Wow. Oh, man. It's been a long time since I've seen these. I know, aren't they great? <laughs> you know, I, I spent the whole day picking through those pictures, and I couldn't throw any of them out. Hey, remember this? That was our trip, uh, that fishing trip up to Priest Lake, and you caught that great big bass? Yeah, but it fell off the line before we could get into the boat. Yeah, but I saw it. Hey, hey, this is my favorite one. This is us at Little Indians Camp. Remember the headdress you made me? Nah, that was, that was yeah. something else. <laughs> oh, oh, man, you couldn't talk unless you were holding the... Uh, 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 the talking stick. Talking stick, man. That was always tough for me. Yes, it was. <laughs> Thought about using that at the supper table. Hey, what are the clippings for, Dad? Well, those are some articles from your track and cross-country days. Here, this one's right here. This one is about uh, when you took second place uh, at state finals. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Oh, son, it's okay. If that guy didn't cut you off, you would have gotten first. No, I mean, I'm sorry. I can't look at this right now. Hey, son, it's, uh, uh, you know, this isn't quite the time to get down. I mean, you're getting better. You're going to get out of here soon. Only to come right back. Yeah, but you're strong, Dad, son. this is my fourth time in the hospital this year. Eddie, you're a fighter. I'm having trouble keeping weight on. You're a winner, Eddie. Dad, I've got AIDS. I'm not a winner. Sometimes, I just wish this were all over with. Oh, son, don't say that. You've got so much to live, live for. Like what? My next infection? A body covered in scabs? Or my art gallery? That's four months behind in rent. Hey, I'm here for you, son. Are you? Every day. 
But are you here for me? The real me? Eddie. You know what? I've never even heard you say it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can you even say it? Say what? Admit what I am. Dad, you're always talking about the past. But what about today? What about who I am? Say it. You're sick. I'm gay. Okay, I admit. Um, I, I've had some trouble admitting that, that you're gay. But you're my son and I'm proud of you. Dad, you're proud of what I've done. You're not proud of who I am. We never even talked until I got sick. I know. And I'm sorry. I know I didn't handle it well when you first told me. But Eddie, can't we put this behind us? I, I don't agree with your lifestyle. But you're my son. It's gonna get real bad, Dad. We'll face this together. I'm not a very nice person when I'm losing. I'll take my chances. The issue of AIDS and HIV in our culture is still a very real issue today. It's not one that gets as much press anymore, not like it used to. But it is still a very real cultural issue and one that we, as Christ followers, as the church, must care about. Over 8,000 people a day, each and every day, die from AIDS-related diseases. That's 56,000 in a week. Over a quarter of a million every month. It's nearly three million people a year. Let those numbers just sink in for a moment. Unbelievable, tragic. And I believe with all my heart that those numbers break the heart of God because it's not just a number to him. Every one of those numbers represent a life that he cares for, a life that he sent his son to die for. In just a little bit, we're going to have a friend of mine come up and uh, we're going to walk through some things today uh, together that... Uh, may be challenging for you, may be difficult for some of you to hear. It's my belief that one of the things we have to deal with as a church and as individuals is our fear and some of our prejudices, and that we have to be willing to look at this through the eyes of Jesus. And in just a bit, I'm going to have a friend of mine named John come up, and uh, we'll walk through this issue together with him. But before we do, I want you to watch another video just to drive this point home. Let's watch this together. virus surfaced in 1981. Since then, 25 million people have died and no single region on the earth has been spared. In the U.S., over 1 million people are infected and more than 25% don't even know it. 
the disease continues to ravage Africa and is expected to do the same in India, Russia, and China. Last year alone, three million people vanished from the face of the planet. And this year, HIV AIDS will kill even more. All around the world, over 40 million people are infected. Five million people are infected every year. 14,000 people will become infected today. There is no cure for this deadly virus. It destroys our communities. It destroys our families. Leaving 15 million orphans to fend for themselves. children who are without hope. This is the greatest humanitarian crisis in the world. Today, 8,000 people will die. humanitarian crisis in the world today is HIV. And what disturbs me is that for the most part the Western world and our Western culture and much of the church has almost become apathetic about this issue. I invited uh, 15 pastors, people that I know in the valley to come and join me and John, who I'll introduce in a moment, to hear his story and to see how we as the church could combined together our efforts to, uh, to address this issue in our county. I had two emails that responded out of the 15 I sent that said, sorry, we can't make it. And the only other church that came was John's church. And that, I don't think is okay. And I, I really don't believe that that's the heart of God. I don't think that's the way it ought to be. This last Thursday was World's Aid Day, and I don't know how many of you even were of that. I looked from front to back twice through the Spokesman Review. Couldn't find one thing in the paper about this issue at all. And yes, an issue that continues to ravage and, and destroy so many lives that God cares so much about. I asked John to come. His name's John Fords, and John has AIDS. And he's a Christian, a Christ follower. And I asked John to come, and we're going to walk through this issue together so hopefully we can understand it better from someone who's lived it and been right there. Let's welcome John Forbes together with you. Thanks, John. John, I'm so glad you're here. When I first, when we met with uh, those small group of, of uh, men and women here a couple of weeks ago, I felt your passion 
and heard your heart. And one of the things I deeply appreciate about you is that there's no chip on your shoulder. You know, I'm an ax to grind, but you have great compassion. And what you said in that meeting motivated me, challenged me, and I knew I needed to have you come and, and hopefully do that for our church. So thank you again for being here today, John. You're welcome. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I, you know, I think about um, when we listen to the numbers, there's so many people around the world that don't ever get a chance to be heard. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully, maybe some of what I would say today would represent those who wouldn't have a chance to speak to you, and I might be able to convey their heart to you, and more importantly, God's heart. Yeah, good. Well, let's dive right in. I know we've got a lot to cover, and, and uh, I know you've got a lot to say. And I, I just want to ask you, what is going on in the world right now with AIDS, and why should the church care? Well, um, actually answering the first part of that as far as what's going on in the world, you saw in the video um, that this disease doesn't just affect us here, but it's taking place around the world. And actually, some of the numbers have actually increased from the time that this video took place. But uh, 34 million people living in the world um, with AIDS and 25 million people in sub-Saharan Africa alone. In the country of South Africa, there's 5.75 million people. In India, there's 2.5 million people. And um, since the 30 years ago that AIDS first came onto the scene, there's nearly 30 million people who've passed away as a result of that. And when Pastor Kurt was talking about, and it said in the video as well, that 8,000 people die each day from AIDS, it's hard to get your head around what those numbers are. But actually, if I could give you like a picture, imagine 23 747s filled to capacity, crashing into the ground every day, that's 8,000 people. Every single day die from this disease around the world. Also, as a result of the fallout of this disease, it's, the ripple effects are really um, far-reaching. There's 16 million orphans around the world directly related to having lost either one or both of their parents. In Sub-Saharan Africa, there's 14,800,000 orphans directly related just to AIDS. In South Africa alone, there's 2 million, pe 2 million orphans mm. as a result of AIDS. The second part of that question is why should the church care? In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, it says that we are therefore Christ's ambassador as though God were making his appeal through us. That means when Jesus left this earth and he left the responsibility for the gospel to be shared, he gave that responsibility to us. And the way we act and the way we move in the world, we reflect who Jesus is. We're supposed to. Unfortunately, in the area of HIV and AIDS, the church has really failed to show up in the way that really reflects God's heart. Um, I've had the privilege of doing some work overseas since 2003, and I've been involved in South Africa and India and many other countries, but I wanted to share a couple of stories with you that um, would maybe personalize this. In 2003, when I went to South Africa for the first time, part of what motivated me was I wanted to reach into the rest of the world to help the body of Christ be equipped so that they could respond in a way that really reflected the heart of God because we missed that opportunity in the past. 
And it was one of those things that was in my heart that was God saw and next thing you know, I'm overseas and I'm in South Africa. And I had this incredible friend that was doing this amazing work in a township and he invited me to come and share with these pastors. And like his personality, one day he didn't tell me what was going to happen. He just said, come here, I want you to talk to these people. And so we walked into a room and there were 16 Zulu pastors there and he said, this is my friend John, he's going to tell you a story and he walked out of the room. I was like, okay. And that was the beginning of me starting to express what God had walked me through personally and what I had hoped to see the body of Christ do. It was a really amazing time to be able to share things with them. And we ultimately did an outreach where those pastors were with me and we actually used my story as a platform to reach out to the community. And there was a young woman who came forward at the end when we asked people if anyone wanted to come forward for prayer. And her name was Trisha. And Trisha was 18 years old. And she had just lost her six-month-old baby three months earlier who died of AIDS. And as I had a chance to pray with Trisha, it was, you know, one of many people who came forward. But why she stood out to me was two weeks later, I had no idea I was in the very same church. Trisha was in a pine box. She had passed away. And I got asked by the family if I would share a few words and sing a song. So I sang a song and tried to encourage them somehow in this state of grief. And I thought to myself, this is an 18-year-old girl. Her life is over like that. She doesn't get to make any more choices. No more decisions are made for her. Her fate is sealed in eternity. And I think to myself, you know, if we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and he's the only way to the Father and no one comes to, him, comes to the Father but by him, then that means the seriousness of when we actually share the gospel with people, as the body of Christ, we've got to be able to give people a chance to respond. That's right. And we certainly can't let prejudice stand in the way from reaching out and giving someone a chance to come to Jesus. With all these people dying around the world, it's an incredible, not only opportunity, but responsibility for the body of Christ. In, in January of this year, I had an opportunity to be in India for a few months. And I was in a village called Damaru, outside of a city called Rajamundri, and was working with a local church there. And they had been um, working with some individuals who were living with HIV. And I met this young man, Simachalam. And he was extremely sick. Now, most people have between 800 and 1,200 um, T cells. Uh, you develop AIDS when you have 200 or less. He had 11. Okay, and he was so skinny. And I thought to myself, he needs to be eating. And, um, you know, it was like um, just thinking about how poor that part of the world is. I'm just assuming that he's going to have, you know, he should have three square meals a day. Sometimes these people would eat once a week, and maybe it's the meal they got at a church. Like, that's happening less than 13 hours away on a plane. That's happening in the world right now. And so it was, like, so amazing to, uh, to be in that situation again and be reminded. And, um, you know, Samachalam lost his battle. Uh, in April, he passed away. And he left behind a wife who was six months pregnant and a three-year-old little daughter. John, let me just interrupt just to say, I, I want you guys to understand that when he shares these stories about real people, 
they're people he knows and loved and, and had a connection with. Uh, we as a church support two missionaries, uh, one in, in uh, Mozambique, my brother, who's there, in a region of the world that has lots of people with AIDS, and actually two uh, missionaries in India, Shirley Cunningham and Rick and Ellen Coffin, were there as well. And this is, this is a real situation. And one of the things that struck me, too, when you talked about Tricia, was that I know, and, and I was surprised to hear this and learn this from you, that it's not just a gay disease. That is it true still that more women have have uh, HIV than men? Yes, in the world, women are at the highest level of the infection, and the community, it, the heterosexual community around the world, is the most, uh, is the high, uh, highest infection rate is amongst the heterosexual community. It's not the disease that it is here in the United States. It's totally different around the world. Well, you talked about the church, and I, you mentioned something that I, I just want to hear more about is why has the church missed this window of opportunity? Why have we failed here, John? Well, I think, you know, um, in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, it says, as a man thinks, so is he. You know, we establish behavior patterns in our life based on how we think about things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I think that primarily because AIDS first appeared in the gay community, it was considered a gay disease. And the scriptures are really clear about living a lifestyle that's outside of God's parameters. You know, the scriptures say uh, that um, homosexual offenders would not inherit the kingdom of God. And to live out that lifestyle is sinful in God's eyes. But I believe most people made their decisions based on Romans chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, men had sex with men and received in themselves the due penalty. And if you look at that, it's talking about cause and effect. The Bible talks about we reap what we sow, right? Mm -hmm. But why, could us, why would us as a church actually say, if a man slept with a man, he deserves AIDS and he should die and he shouldn't even hear the gospel, we shouldn't even give them God's love? The Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what's hard is, that scripture, when Paul was actually talking to the church in Rome, it actually, that scripture appears in a whole line of things that he was addressing. And actually, in verse 18, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men, not the gay community, all the ungodlessness and wickedness of men, since... Uh, and uh, they suppress the truth of God by their wickedness. In verse 25, it says um, that instead of worshiping and serving God, they started to worship and serve created things, which is what idolatry is. And that's actually what the sin that Paul was talking about there. And as a result of the idolatry, the Bible says that they were given over. But what he, Paul is talking about is really... He's talking about the world and the nature of sin, capital S, mm -hmm. that a society that stops worshiping and serving God and starts to worship and serve creation, things go outside of the created order. In fact, just before that verse about um, 127, men having sex with men, it says women gave up their natural affection. It also says in the same list, as it talks about not worshiping and serving God and starting to worship and serve creation, one of the, uh, some of the other behaviors, it says, they've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed. They're full of envy, 
murder, strife, deceit. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, rootless. Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever been faithless? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? We've all participated in sin. If God just left us in our sin, we'd be lost. Our responsibility as the body of Christ is to actually reach out and share that love with others. The Bible says that God was in Christ, no longer counting men's sins against them, reconciling the world unto themselves. For some reason, we feel like the sin of homosexuality is actually um, outside of the reach of God, that all the mercy of God, we can't give all the mercy of God to that particular issue. For some reason, we have to hold something back. Who says that? When Jesus said, it is finished, that means that every sin that would ever be created was covered based on the perfect work he did on the cross. That's right. And that if he's not counting men's sins against them, we shouldn't be as the church as well. But it's hard. It gets challenging when you get into these areas because it, it's, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of situations where we feel like we have to defend God. And, you know, I think there's a lot of earnest attitudes that people have wanting to do the right thing. There's a lot of people also that just want to be right. And the goal is to prove that we're right and the gay community's wrong. And the thing is, though, I believe God hasn't called us to be right. He's called us to be in relationship with the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that through me, the world might be saved. That's right. You know, when the woman was caught in adultery, the scribes and Pharisees of the day took her and threw her before the Lord and said, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery, and according to the law, she should be stoned. And then Jesus looked around on them and said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And the story tells us that one by one, they walked away. And then he's just left with this woman, and he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, my Lord. Then he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He called her to holiness only after he encountered her. The first thing he did was remove the spirit by which that woman was brought into his presence because it was judgmental. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that scenario, on the other scenario in the Bible where it talks about these three friends that were trying to get their sick friend into the presence of Jesus. And there was a big crowd that had gathered at this home. In fact, these three actually went up on a roof, removed a mat, and tried to lower this... uh, a person into the presence of Jesus, knowing if they could get that person, just get that person into the presence of Jesus, that they could be healed. 
and they went through great personal sacrifice and they worked together. And if you think about that scenario and the scenario describes in Pharisees someone being thrown and their sin pointed out in front of Jesus, which, which approach do you think the Lord would have us do as the body of Christ? Which one actually rep- represents him? The Bible says that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Thank God, right? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. I think when the Lord actually, when you think about HIV and AIDS, It's like, you know, in my own life, I came from a homosexual background. I battled with this since the time I was 16 years old. Now, I believe what the Bible says, that it would be sinful for me to live that out. There were times for the first eight years of my Christian walk, I lived really strong, and then I went through a lot of struggle. And I'll tell you where I was in the year 2000. I tested... Um, I I developed AIDS actually in 2001, and um, at that time, you know, God brought me to the end of myself, and um, I was an alcoholic, I was addicted to crack cocaine, it was just totally discouraged as a human being, I had lost a ministry I was involved with before, I battled with so much stuff, I didn't belong in the gay community, but I was afraid to go into church. And the Lord met me in that place, and his profound love picked me up out of a garbage pile and set me loose in the world. I thought about dying and thinking to myself, when I die, I'm going to face the Lord, and I'm going to stand in his presence and have to give an account for my life. And I asked God to give me one more chance to use the rest of my life in a way that's going to glorify him. And he took an alcoholic and a crack addict from a homosexual background and set me loose around the world to talk about his love. And most of us, we think people like that are throwaways. But God said, I chose the low things of this world and the despised things of this world so that no one would boast before me. When I think about the mindset that we've had as a church. I believe we've got stuck because of this whole gay issue. Mm -hmm. But in the rest of the world, there are millions of people. We've actually shut it off in our brain. We don't even process anymore. Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. He also said the opposite was true. Inasmuch as you haven't done to the least of these, my brethren, You've not done it unto me. There are people on the other side of this world that are extremely vulnerable, can't access medications. They're dying, women and children. There are kids that are going to grow up without parents. And although it has come to be more of a manageable chronic illness, even though there's no cure here in the United States, that's not what it's like in the rest of the world. And I believe that us... Our generation, we're responsible for the souls on this planet during the time that God's given us here. Did you want to share your video right now just about your story, sure. John? Let's, I, I want to encourage you to see a little bit more of John's story and how he got to where he's at today. Let's watch this together. 
1995 is when I tested positive for HIV. I think the first thing I felt was that it was God's judgment. And so I found myself in this terrible spot where I was in the world and not comfortable in participating in homosexual behavior, hating myself for it, drinking to try and numb the pain, and then I'd go from that cycle and try and be back involved in whatever semblance of life that I could. But in my core place, I knew Jesus was the truth. But every practical answer I could give to the reasons why I struggled or the issues that I had with trying to live out my faith in the Christian community, um, I wasn't getting those kind of answers and it kept me in this really terrible spot which was in between two worlds. I was in New York City at the time and um, I lost my um, medical coverage, my hospitalization, I lost my prescription drug coverage. It was a terrible time for me because um, the only place I could go to for help was the GMHC, the Gay Men's Health Crisis in New York. They told me I could go to their um, location three times a day to their cafeteria in order to access meals and, um, you know, whatever uh, counseling or anything else that I needed. I'm trying to leave a lifestyle and here I am, the only place in New York City for me to go for resources. And I thought of all the large, you know, churches in New York City, eight million people. My choice is to be around in a community that people are living a lifestyle that doesn't reflect God's intention for our lives. And yet I have no other alternative to go to for resources. I think that the reason why the body of Christ has not responded properly to AIDS in this country is because of judgmental attitudes towards the homosexual community. And even like the woman caught in adultery, the scribes and Pharisees, they came before Jesus and said, according to the law, this woman who's been caught in adultery should be stoned. And the very first thing Jesus did was turn it around and ask whoever was without sin to cast the first stone. And as that story plays out, you see what he did ultimately was he removed the spirit by which that woman was brought into his presence because it was judgmental. Once Jesus had an encounter with that woman, he told her, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, my Lord. And he said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He still called her to live a life of holiness, but he met her with compassion. And he dealt with that judgmental attitude that surrounded her. That is exactly what I feel has to happen with the church. The church needs to repent of its attitude towards homosexuals. It's inappropriate and it's totally not God's heart. I think that encounter between the woman caught in adultery and Jesus is a perfect example of how this particular issue should be dealt with. I think the church needs to be in a place where the people in the gay community feel like they could come and start or foster a relationship. And in turn, I think that would affect the church's ability to actually deal with the issue of AIDS. John, I so appreciate your honesty and your transparency and your challenge to us. And I think you're right. The church at large needs to repent of an attitude that we've had for far too long, for generations. And one of the things that I, I try hard 
to do around here at East Point is for us to answer the so what question. So what do we do? I want to just get practical. Would you take a little bit of time? We only have a few minutes left, and I wish we had a lot more time. But how can the church respond to this issue, to this crisis, John? Okay. <clears throat> well, the first thing is, um, you know, I believe God always wants to work from the inside out. Yeah. And, you know, in Psalm 51, verse 6, it says that the Lord desires truth in the inward parts. I think we have to get honest with where we're really at in our hearts, mm -hmm. you know? And if you're struggling with judgmental attitudes, bring that to God in prayer and ask him to give you his heart yeah. towards his creation. Because all of us have our limitations and we get stuck. I, I struggle with judgmental attitudes towards different things. The thing is, the Lord came to set us free, right? That's right. So we have to give God a chance to actually move in our hearts. So starting on the inside. The second thing is to remove stigma. Not only should we do that personally, but corporately. Mm -hmm. The body of Christ has sown judgmental attitudes into the gay community for years. And the gay community has responded as a result of that. We've not accurately reflected God's heart. I think we have to become a place where we actually reflect the mercy of God. And be a place where the stigma is actually removed so that someone could come into an environment and encounter Jesus like the man at the mat mm -hmm. and not the woman who's been brought before uh, the Lord by scribes and Pharisees. And the other thing is, individually, if you've ever been placed at risk in your life, or even if you haven't, you should just get tested and know your status. If you're negative, you can stay negative, right? And if you're positive you can actually um, get some treatment. There's some local places, um, SAN, Spokane AIDS Network, and CHAS, the Community Health Association of Spokane. They're involved in that treatment right here in your own community. In Washington State, there's 5,900 people that are living with HIV. 550 cases are right here in Spokane County. And so there's people right here amongst you that are actually dealing with this. But not only locally, globally. I know you have missionaries in the field like Pastor Kurt talked about. Emailing them and finding out what's going on with HIV AIDS in that area. Or perhaps exploring places as a church um, dealing with the, issue, the fallout of orphans in different parts of the world. Yeah. But even, not even on that grand of a scale, quite personally, if a topic came up on the radio or the television, don't turn the station Listen, and if God places it on your heart, everybody can pray. You can move the Lord to move on behalf of himself to the people who are dealing with this issue around the world. And I believe Jesus left that responsibility to us to impact the world because that was God's plan. And I think it's our responsibility to do the Lord right we want to be a church that when he comes back, he can say, well done, thou good and faithful yeah. servant. That we won't have to hang our heads in shame because we've actually operated out of our own brokenness. But we've gotten out of the way and let his love actually impact a world that is in desperate need of not an encounter with religion, but the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. Thank you, John. I want to be that kind of church, guys. And I know if you know me, you know that's my heart that we would be the place that loves and accepts anyone and everyone who comes through these doors or into our lives. And that rather than, with, than re reacting with fear and judgment, that we respond with the love and compassion of Christ. 
and that we're that kind of church. And the question I want to leave you with today, and then I'll read you one scripture verse and I'm done, is what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you doing something? What will you do from this point on? At the very least, I want to challenge you to have a different heart and to have the compassion of Jesus. But maybe there's more God would ask you to do. There's one verse that's found in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 42, that I want to leave you with, and I'm going to pray. And Jesus dealt with an issue in his day that was leprosy, and he often touched lepers and healed them. Leprosy is not as big a deal, a bigger problem in our culture. There's medicine for it, and, and it's not nearly as, as horrible as it, as in terms of the, the fullness of its impact on the culture as it was in Jesus' day. But it was, in his day, an untouchable disease. It was people that had leprosy were rejected by the community, were shunned by their relatives and friends, and were sent away. And Jesus demonstrated a complete different approach to them. And I believe that AIDS and HIV is the leprosy of our day. Well, let me read to you what Jesus did. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean and filled with compassion. And I love those three powerful words, filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. He was filled with compassion for those who were the outcast and the rejects and the broken and the sick of his day. Are you? Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I know this issue is near and dear to your heart because I know people are why you sent your son. You love us. You love those who are far from you. You love those that are broken and sick. You always have. You always will. And God, you left us here. You put your church in place on this planet and at this time on purpose. God, forgive us. Forgive the church for decades of really not caring, not looking, not doing anything about this, not knowing how to deal with this or not caring. Forgive us. And God, give us your heart. Give us a heart of compassion. Give us practical things, God, that we can do individually and collectively as a church that will make a difference, that will demonstrate to the world that not only does God care, but we care. And that God in us, Christ in us, cares a great deal about every person, every broken one on this planet. And so, God, I pray that you would move in us, that you would move through us, and that you would have your way. And that, God, that no longer would the church, not just East Point, but the church worldwide, that no longer would we be a place that's known for what we're against or for a place where we put up banners and say, God hates fags. God, forgive us. Don't let us be known for that. But in fact, let us be known for the love of Christ that flows through us to those all around us, Lord, even the worst and the least of those. And I pray it in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your, your life as a Christ follower. And you're thinking today, you know, I, I know I need God. I know I need a, a Savior. And if, if becoming a part of the church is it means being a part of something like that, where I'm loved and accepted, and where I can make a difference in, in this world and see God bring wholeness to my life. And you're thinking, that's what I want, then I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And this simple prayer is, is, is just a, an introduction. It's a beginning for you where you can make these words your words and make this your introduction into faith in Christ. Make this prayer yours right now. Father, forgive me for I've sinned and failed and gone my own way. And I ask you to come into the deepest part of my being and change me from the inside out. I surrender my past, my present, and even my hopes, my, my future. I surrender my life to you. And I embrace your gift of salvation. I embrace your gift of grace. I embrace, Jesus, what you did for me on that cross, that you paid the price for all of my sin. I can hardly fathom that, but I'm so grateful for it. So grateful for it. And so right here, right now, I accept your love and your grace and your acceptance and your, your new life. And today, 
I choose you. Thank you for choosing me. And from this point on, Father, help me to walk with you all the days of my life and to eternity. Now, if that's your heart and your prayer, whether you're watching this online or sitting in this room right now, just say, yeah, God, that's me. That guy, that what he just prayed, that's my prayer. That's what I want. And the instant you do, the moment you do, you begin that life of faith. You cross the line into relationship with God Almighty. Lord, for those that are making that decision right now, show them what it means. Show them what you're going to do. Show them how good you are and how much you love them, God. And let them leave this place today knowing in their knower that they are yours and that you are theirs. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John, thank you again. Give John. Thank you. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song of worship uh, today. And if you uh, uh, want to put that visitor card or prayer request in the offering bag right now, let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Powerful words. Love never fails, never gives up. God is love for us, not the love he wants us to have for others. Let that truth ring in your hearts today, guys. Listen, if you begin your life today as a Christ follower, tell the person standing next to you, tell the person you came with. Back on the tables as you leave, there's a package for new Christians. Got a Bible. So we to get you started your walk with Jesus. We want to help you in your journey of faith now. There'll be a prayer team down here. John will be available if you'd like to pray with him. You can be in both sides of the room. Two more things real quick. Listen, one, out the tree of uh, Sherry down in the lobby. Please stop by there on your own way out today and hope to see all of our volunteers come back tonight at 6.30 for a great time of fun and celebration together. God bless you guys.